0: Quit a job, ever redefine yourself within one, Ever started something in one big or failed. Quit is calling show, hopefully helping people sort out their lives, reevaluate their options, kick their crummy corporate students' jobs to the curb, and start something awesome. I'm Dan Benjamin. It's time to quit. You can call in live to the show 512-518-5714. The number to dial. You can leave a voicemail, but we've already done that. But if this is the first time listening to the show or you have a comment, about the show, you can do that by uh, leaving us a voicemail. The number for that is 512-222-8141. But again, if you want to talk to me right now, number to dial, 512-518-5714. It'd be great to uh, talk to you because we have a wonderful guest virtually here, not really here, all the way in New York City. We have Jeff Rader. Jeff is, uh, you probably know him most, I would say as the co-founder of Warby Parker, but more recently, co-founder of Harry's. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, it's, you know, this was something that I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. So I've got to, you know, here in, uh, uh, you know, in journalism, in professional journalism, it, we have this thing where we have full disclosure. Have you ever heard about this? Yeah, of course. Where where we are required we are required to be, divulge all of our secrets on the air. So the secret is I have worn Warby Parker glasses for many, many years, and I became so obsessed with them that I f- somehow forced you guys to sponsor some shows about a year ago. Huh. And so totally on the record, you guys are, are a past sponsor may- and hopefully maybe future sponsor, of five, but that's not why you're here. You're not here. I'm not trying to sell you sponsorship right now. we can do that later. And
1: we don't sponsor just everybody. We uh, love your shows.
0: Well, I appreciate you saying that. I I really do. And this is the thing. This is what really, you know, we talk about this stuff on this show uh, all the time, uh, is starting up, starting something, leaving something, and starting something, redefining the thing you're in. This show isn't just about quitting, it's not just about quitting and leaving a job. It's it's about starting something or redefining the job you're in or doing something that you're passionate about. So if you if you go to WarbyParker.com, there's a, a page there called Meet the Founders, and it's got a picture of you and uh, three other folks on here. Yep. And here's what it, here's how you were described: mm-hmm. a a spiritual leader of Warby Parker. In our class at Wharton, Jeff has a pension for bringing people together at times over an adult beverage. a glasses were for life. We think Jeff wanted to start Warby Parker because he couldn't find any frames on the market that fit his slightly quirky yet impeccable taste. So you were one of the co-founders. How many co-founders were you? How many uh, people were there?
1: There were four of us.
0: All four. And those are the four folks that are featured on this page. That's right. Neil, And so t- talk to me about this. How long ago did you guys start Warby and w- why? Is that really the reason you couldn't find anything else out there? So you had to huh. make them yourself? Yeah, uh, so...
1: We founded Warby Parker. Um, we launched Warby Parker in February of 2010. Um, we started working on the concept that became Warby Parker in late 2008. Um, we were. So, about
0: two, two, almost two years, or year, at least a year, to really formulate what it was you wanted it to be.
1: Yeah. Yep. And I think that's about what it takes to sort of develop an idea, think it through. Um, create physical products and a great web experience and then launch uh i mean some people may have been able to do it quicker but that's been consistent with my experience both with warby parker and harry's it, it just takes a while to kind of get it all together
0: why i mean there's four of you yeah. you guys all know your stuff yeah. yeah why would it take that long i understand why but uh, I, I mean i think i think the audience would probably do well to hear in more detail because nowadays all they always talk about agile startups. You only need, you know, you need uh, coffee money for a year and a computer and you can start a company.
1: Yeah. It, th- not always true. I think it depends on what your objective is around launching the company. Um, if you just want to get to like a minimum viable product very quickly, then it's probably possible to launch much more quickly. But, I think if you want to launch a consumer brand that really tries to redefine an industry that has been around for a while, that, that takes a, a while to, to think through. And when you're dealing with physical product, oftentimes the first prototype you make of that product isn't the exact product that you'd be most proud to sell. And so it takes a while to refine and improve and think through all the details and, and be sure that when you come come to market, you're doing it with, with a, a product and a brand that, you know, I think at Warby Parker and at Harry's we were just incredibly proud of. Um, uh, and that we felt was kind of up to the task to, um, try to, uh, kind of change the industry that we, that we were in. Um, okay. But this is,
0: this is the thing you look at this industry. Now, first of all, there's, there's probably a few people who don't know anything about Warby Parker. So I I will, I will be your spokesperson and tell them about it. Great. But, but after that, what made you think you could walk in and make these changes to an industry that was so deeply established with so many big players? How dare you come in and and think that you could try to change this? All right. So first let me tell people Barbie Parker. I've been wearing glasses. I mean, I think I was prescribed glasses when I was about 10 years old and I didn't really start wearing them until I was a teenager. And, uh, and, and Heather told me, I, you know, Dan, you actually look pretty cute with glasses on. I said, all right, well, if Heather thinks I'm cute, I'll start wearing them more. And it also helped because I could see the the classroom, you know, the board in the end of the classroom again. So this is maybe soft, sophomore, junior, high school. And ever since then, I always struggled to find glasses that I really liked. And I would go through a period, oh, these are all right. And then something would happen to them. And then I'd, I'd have to find some other crappy pair. And then all of a sudden, you guys show up. And I'd heard, you know, I'd heard people talking about ordering glasses online. I was always very, very skeptical of this, Jeff. Very, very skeptical of it. And uh, it was, you know, I was very much just thinking to myself, wow, I'm never going to be able to order this because they're never going to get my prescription right. These frames are cool, but they're never going to be able to get the prescription right ever because I have a weird prescription. Yeah. And you got it right. Yeah. And, the, and the frames were really cool. And I said, wait a minute, this is too good to be true. You know, There's no way that I'm going to be able to, uh, to do this again. And I got another pair and it was fine. It just worked. And the frames are really, really cool. And the whole process of how you do it, you're not going to need to buy sponsorship after this. <laughs> <laughs> the whole way that you do it is amazing because here's what you do. You go to the site. And then they're going to have this, this box that they send you, you send me, of, of these frames that I picked out from your site that I think that I just want to try them, see how they look. Because that's the whole thing with glasses. How are you going to try them on at home? All the other glasses sites, they don't send you anything. You just think, well, I guess I like that frame. I guess it'll fit my head. And they send it team. and you don't like it. Well, that's it. You bought them. With you guys, you send out the frames first. You keep them for a week. You put them back in the same box. The packaging is awesome. You put them back in the same box, and then they ship away. And you say which one you want, or maybe you don't want any, and you just try them on. It doesn't matter. You don't pay for that as a consumer. You don't pay anything until you find out the glass, and then you get the price point of like it's like a hundred bucks. Now, how did you put this thing together? How dare you come into an industry that's completely dominated and owned? by these other major players. I'm not just talking about the mail order industry for, for eyeglasses. I'm talking about, you know, all the local places that are in every single mall and everything, single shopping center. How could you possibly compete with this? What were you guys thinking? So
1: it, the idea sort of came about when we were just sitting around after class one day, we were all in business school at the time. Um, and had just become good friends. Um, just, I think the way that most people do in business school, uh, just, you know, we sort of had met early and, um, and we're good friends and we're sitting around after class one day and um, I was with Neil and Neil had worked in the ILR industry before school uh, for running a nonprofit that provides affordable reading glasses to people in the developing world and um, and Dave uh, who is one of our other co-founders and good friends and Andy were on the same learning team in school and Andy had sort of had the initial idea around selling glasses online you know why couldn't you know I think he was a he worked in finance before school and in healthcare and had looked at other affordable healthcare models, people sort of disrupting in, in, industries and segments of healthcare that were massively inefficient and thought, man, maybe there's an opportunity to do this in the optical space. And so Dave knowing Dave, he talked, Neil, Andy talked about it with Dave and then Dave know, knew that Neil worked in the hour industry. And so Neil and I were just hanging out after class one day and Dave came up and said, you know, Hey guys, what do you think about this idea of selling glasses online? And at the time I had $500 pair of Prada eyeglasses, um, my prescription had changed a few times. I hadn't changed my glasses because they were so expensive. Um, And uh, and I was like, you know, I'm a student. I would love a new pair of glasses, but man, these things are really expensive. And, um, you know, there's definitely a a real pain point here for customers. And Neil, you know, had sort of had a lot of experience in the industry. He's like, you know, Jeff, I've been to the place where they make those glasses and and they cost a fraction of that to make. Um, You know, the industry is dominated by a couple of companies that Keep prices artificially high and that uh that you know um drives incredibly high prices to customers um relative to the cost to make these products. Right. Um and I was like, well that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, my glasses are really complicated. I've got very complex prescription, you know, I've got I, I don't understand. Like I should be able to get glasses, you know, that my glasses should cost that much. And Neil's like, nope, like, you know, your lenses, think of them as magnifying glasses. Um, these are not super complicated products to make and, you know, so you should be able to get them much more affordably than you do. And so kind of had that conversation. I couldn't sleep that night, woke up and I called Neil and Dave the next day and I was like, guys, like we should do this. Like we should go figure out how to make our own glasses, develop our own brand and, and sell direct and sort of go around all of that stuff that's going on in the industry, um, and just deliver people, you know, glasses that they'd expect to find at a high-end boutique that they'd be really proud to wear, and do it at a at a reasonable price. Um, you know, when we sort of always had this idea of less than hundred dollars in our mind, which we thought would just provide really tremendous value to customers. Um, and so we got excited about the idea. I think the other thing that that we all got excited about very early on was the idea of having a much broader positive mission for the company. Uh, um, and so today, at Warby Parker, for every pair of glasses that we sell, we donate a pair to somebody living on less than $4 a day in the developing world. Um, and, uh, and I think that's always been a a really important part of, of our mission to, you know, have a, a much broader impact than, than just, you know, a positive, positive impact on our customers. Um, and so we got really excited about this concept and then it took us probably six or nine months to really sort of refine the business model. Um, and one of the fun things about being in school is that we got to talk to many of our friends about about the idea and get their thoughts. And one of the early things that we heard back was we love it. We would love access to really high quality glasses at a at a great price, but um, but we really need to try them on. And so we developed the home try on program where we would that you spoke about, where we'd send you five pairs of glasses at home to try on and, and and share with friends and get comfortable with, and then choose you know the one or two or three of those pairs that you like to ultimately buy from us. Um, and you know we just sort of thought a lot about the overall customer experience and how to make it as easy as possible to purchase something that people generally weren't used to purchasing online. Um, and, and so you know, I think that, that process took us six months or so. we wrote a business plan and we did a lot of thinking about the brand that we wanted to create. Um, then we went and sourced our first line, built our website um, and, and got ready to launch the company.
0: And how, so again, we're talking about a time period of only now, a year doesn't sound like that much time at all. Two years doesn't sound like that much time at all, but were you worried about, and again, this is something I hear all the time. People are saying, well, if I don't do it, if I don't do it right now, if I don't start this thing right now, somebody else is going to beat me to it. Were you guys just convinced that no one else was doing this or that your
1: approach was going to be significantly different enough? Yeah, you know, so we, we, it's clearly always in the back of our minds ahead of launch. You know, what if somebody else is doing this? Um, yeah. And there were some folks out there who were selling really inexpensive glasses online, but they weren't glasses that we would necessarily be proud to own or to tell our friends about. Um, there was re- wasn't really a strong brand around those glasses. And so for us, I think we took some comfort in the fact that what we were really trying to do was launch a brand that meant something to people. Um, I think we deliberately chose bold acetate glasses to start because we knew that glasses really sort of reflected people's individual characters. And we wanted people to wear glasses that made a statement about themselves um, and, and have a very specific brand identity around that. Um, and we sort of always thought of Warby Parker as a little bit quirky and bookish. Um, but also fashionable. Um, And so we had sort of created this vintage-inspired line and a brand that really was around that and a a name that was inspired by, you know, characters in Jack Kerouac's journals that sort of, again, reinforced this idea that we were, you know, a sort of more intrepid um, brand that, you know, was was sort of willing to take a little bit more risk in a category where there hadn't been a lot of that. Um, And so we just sort of felt at that time like, there was an amazing opportunity to launch um, a brand that meant something different to people in the space and that no one else was really thinking about it that way. Um, and so that gave us a little bit of comfort then that, you know, we were just going to do it differently than, than how other people were thinking about the category at the time. And this is the thing
0: when you guys came out, I don't remember there being a huge, huge, huge marketing push. It was kind of like, Oh, like these guys are doing something different. And I remember I heard about it from a friend of mine. Now the question is, did you guys do a big marketing push? Because I heard about it just from, from friends, from people who are saying, Oh, you've got to check these guys out. Was there a really big push? Was it mainly on social networks? How did you guys uh, engineer this? Because I knew everybody seemed to hear about it all at once, but it wasn't like it was like, Oh, every single, you know, click ad on, on the web is talking about it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, we did very little direct marketing. Um, Early on, uh, we really focused on sort of word of mouth, and um, and we were fortunate to just have some amazing editorial coverage around the brand, uh, and that helped sort of propel us uh, early on. And so, you know, that's that was just really, 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 you know, powerful for us. Um, and I think the fact that people were really excited about. You know, Warby Parker and the brand like just helped us tremendously in getting the word out um, and I think today still you know lots of people out there don't know about Warby Parker um, and we really want the brand to grow organically and um, and to have you know people tell their friends about it and to learn that way and to um, get comfortable with the brand and um, and not feel like it's being pushed on them
0: this is the, and this is one of, I think the secrets is that for a while you guys were kind of like, Oh, they're like this cool company in New York. Nobody is really sure what they're doing. You start hearing the stories about this and then slowly it almost seemed like this. And so this was planned to kind of unfold this.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think we always felt like the best way to learn about Warby Parker was through a friend or you know, someone you trusted. Um, credible source in your life and that could be editorial it could be you know family member it could be a friend but some sort of trusted source um and if those people are having a great experience with the brand then you know you might be inclined to try it as well and hopefully then you know you would have a great experience and tell others and that's sort of the that's been the foundation of of the company and the brand and so as we think about how to continue to perpetuate that you know for us it's just about giving people really amazing value, um, you know, glasses that they really like to wear at, at really good prices, and then, you know, having a make, p- making people feel like they are um, contributing to the much broader impact that we're having around the world, and and lastly, just being there for them as a company um, and giving them, you know, a really really good customer experience, um, you know, making sure that. Uh, we get their prescriptions right. And we get them their glasses and that we're here to answer their questions. Um, And that when you call, you get to speak with a person right away.
0: Uh, I I mean, that's, that that seems to be one of the things that, and, and so here's what I did. After you guys signed on to be a sponsor, I said, you know, I've never ordered from any of these other companies. And I don't want to say that Warby is the best. If I don't really know if they're the best I mean, they were pretty good They're pretty good. (laughs) But what if the other ones are just as good? At least I want to know what I'm, what I'm talking about. So I ordered from, I won't say who, another company. And they had a thing where, you know, you buy the regular glasses and then like you get another pair half off and they suggest, you you know, make some sunglasses. So that's what I did. Both of the prescriptions were wrong because I, I have a screwed up prescription. It's really weird. Both of the prescriptions were wrong. And the frames that they sent me looked nothing like the frames on the – I mean they kind of looked like what was on the website. But the prescriptions – and they weren't consistently wrong. They weren't both wrong in the same way because I took them to a local and, – and this is the thing. Like if you can go to a local eye doctor, then they don't care. But if, you know, mostly eye doctors, they try and sell you stuff too. So you got to find one that's cool about it. And I asked the woman there, I said, can you please check these and tell me if, what's wrong with them? And they were both wrong. And they were both wrong in a different way. So I called the company back and they didn't answer. So I had to email them and I went through a series of emails through their automated help system that would like send you back, you know, trying to send me to the, you know, their like FAQ and stuff like that. Finally, I talked to a person and they said that they allow like a once in a lifetime replacement if the prescription is wrong. And I said, all right, I did that. And I sent it to them. And then they took another two weeks and the glasses came back and they were wrong again. So granted, I've got a weird prescription, but this just showed me that even if they had gotten the prescription right the second time, the customer service part of it sucked. I never really got to talk to a person. I got to talk to like through a a help ticket system. And if you guys, I can call you guys, a human being is going to answer. That makes such a big difference. Was that as much part of the vision that you guys had? as it was making the cool glasses or, or was it, did that come later? Is, did you start from that? Yeah.
1: point? You know, it was, it was funny. So what ended up happening, we weren't exactly sure what was going to happen around our launch. Um, and we were students at the time when we launched the business while we were literally still in school. Um, and we, um, were really fortunate around our launch to get some incredible press. And what happened is lots of orders started to come in. Um, and we were not equipped to deal with it. Um, I think we should have probably, in hindsight, and this is a great lesson that we learned with Harry's, um, you know have, have expected demand and prepared for it, but we just didn't know at the time. And very quickly, we realized that we had lots of customers and that we had to kind of scramble to get them their products. And so first, we worked really hard to do that. But secondly, I think we also realized that these early people who were emailing us, calling us, and we were reading the emails and responding them to them ourselves, you know, we're going to be the foundation for our company. And so we just took it upon ourselves to make each and every one of them happy. Um, and I'm sure we weren't 100% successful, but we tried really hard. Um, and I think the four of us spent, you know, just countless hours on the phone um, and on email, just talking to customers, explaining, you know, that we were a young company and that we were doing our best for them. Um, and that, you know, we built this for them. Um, we're you know, doing this to really try to deliver them better experiences. And over time, we hired in a team to help us. And I think that they really kind of, you know, took that attitude that we had to customers and just adopted it themselves. And then the people that that team then trained to come on and be the next wave of people sort of continued it. And I think that that culture has remained really strong at Warby Parker. I'm um, just trying to make sure that every single customer has a really good experience with us and kind of doing everything that we possibly can to make that a great experience. I I gave away lots of glasses early on. uh, Did you? Because, you know, like we were young and we didn't always get prescriptions right the first time. Um, At that time, you know, we're, we're much more sophisticated today. And I think we realized that in some ways that provides an opportunity to go above and beyond to make it right. Um, And in doing so, you can, you know, engender a lot, a lot of loyalty with people.
0: Um, now you've also, you've also now have some, uh, some physical presence. So you've got a flagship retail store that's the, yeah. that's very exciting. I want to talk to you about that. And, and of course, we're going to talk about Harry's and we're going to take some calls before they do our first sponsor. It's ting.com. Great. Ting is great. These guys, they're mobile. That they makes sense. This, this is, this is the way this works. It's super simple. They, they resell Sprint's national network, okay? So if you're in the continental United States, Sprint exists and they've got really great service in pretty much all the places I've been to. What makes Ting different though is contract free. There's no early termination fees, nothing. And you can create the kind of plan that you want. Do you talk on the phone a lot? Fine, give yourself a bunch of minutes. Do you text a lot? Give yourself a bunch of texts. Megs, whatever it is that you need, you can custom tailor this and you can custom tailor it all the time. And what's really cool is if you go, if you use more than you thought you would, you're going to pay for what you used, and then they're going to bump you up to the next plan. If you use less, they'll drop you down to the, pre, to the lower level, and they'll credit you the difference on your next bill. You only pay for what you use. It's a really, really great idea. And very much like the Warby folks, they're real human beings who will answer the phone. I, when, when they sent me that, I, uh, I got this new phone. When they sent it to me, I said, oh, I have a question about it. Let me call them up. I call them up person answers. And I'm like, I, I was so ready for them to like kick me off the phone and be done with me, because that's usually what happens. Like, is there anything else I can help you with today? None of that. They're like, well, let me stay on the phone with you while we reset it, and make sure that it worked. It was great. This is the kind of customer service these guys have. And some people uh, have, you know, often said, well, what about like weird service fees and that kind of nonsense? No, you never have any mysterious line items. They charge you for what you used plus whatever taxes they're legally required to collect from you, and that's it. No hidden charges, no recovery fees, none of that nonsense. And if you want to add another device to the plan, six bucks a month. It uses the pooled minutes, megs, and texts that you've already got. Six bucks a month. And the coolest thing is they have this really awesome dashboard on the web. So you can get in there. You can see your usage visually. You can see everything that's going on. And uh, it's, it's really, really awesome. So I want you to they have a special URL, 5 by 5tingcom you go there, you're going to get 25% off your first device or $25 Ting service credit. Now, people have asked me, Jeff, they'll say, well, I, you know, I really want the iPhone. That's all I care about. Well, they're getting the iPhone, go to that URL, 5 5tingcom put in your info there, and you will be notified as soon as that big announcement drops. They said it was okay for me to mention it. So anyway, Ting, 5 5tingcom check them out. Loving these guys. Hope you will too. So, Soho's historic cast iron district now is a flagship store when did you guys open this up jeff
1: uh we opened uh on i guess this past weekend Uh, i
0: mean this is a big this is brand new yeah it's new uh pictures and look awesome it looks insanely good It looks exactly like you would think it would look but i mean that in the best possible way
1: yeah it was so the design was inspired by some of the greatest libraries in the world um And so it's sort of meant to be like, as our flagship, you know, um, a place that you feel comfortable coming in and browsing and, you know, checking out products, got a bunch of old books. Um, And yeah, it's a great location. And I just, I think it, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't seen this space uh, for for a couple of months as it it had come together. Um, So I'd seen, you know, early plans and then, had seen it very early on, um, but uh, but hadn't seen the space until about two weeks ago. Um, when a bunch of the the, uh, the const- sort of the construction was more complete, um, and went in and um, and was you know kind of just blown away by by the magnitude of it. Um, it's uh it's really exciting, um, and it's been we've had an amazing response to the store so far. Uh,
0: was this part of your plan all along to eventually work up to having? You know flagship store like this, or were you planning on being hundred percent online
1: I don't know if you'd asked us you know a few years ago what we would have said I think though that we always viewed Warby Parker as a brand and not as a as an online retailer and so if you take that if you view the company within that lens then you know I think it's super logical that we would have stores um, and that we would you know want to have a a physical presence for the brand. Lots of brands have flagship stores. And so, um, you know, our, our, in some ways we have a, an online flagship store, which is our website. And then we have, you know, our first, uh, you know, sort of real flagship store, um, in Soho. So, um, has been great. And, you know, before we did that, we, we did a couple pop-up shops, um, and got amazing responses for those. And, um, you know, I think it, it even probably started before that When in our apartments in Philadelphia, we had people coming into try on glasses. So I think very early we realized that <laughs> that people really wanted to interact with these. Um, that's, you know, they loved the whole try on program and it just compelled us to, to build a store. And then when we started going down that, that path, we just felt like it had to be as special as it could be. Um, so and we wanted to be on that very specific block in New York. We waited years to find the right space and then um, invested a lot to to make it special.
0: So speaking of investments, you guys have taken a number of investments. We don't need to get, you know, sometimes that's secret, sometimes it's public. Yeah. But you guys have have done, how many rounds has have you seen? it? Was it two or three?
1: Um, three. Three. Rounds of funding.
0: And was this part of your plan initially? In other words, when you started out and you were doing this, do, did you... Did you think, okay, we'll get to a certain point and then we'll start these different rounds? Because again, I think when, when a lot of us, and I know at least I'm speaking for myself, so maybe I should just say for me, when I've had different ideas and I've thought about doing different things, my goal has always been, well, how can I do this without borrowing any money from anybody? How can I do this without anything? And uh, you know, how has that played into your decisions and and what you guys have
1: done? Well, um, you know, when we launched Orby Parker, there were um, you know, there were four of us, and and we bootstrapped the company. Um, you know, we invested every dollar that we had at the time to to start the business, and um, and we didn't take any external funding um, for about a year afterwards. We did a, a very small friends and family uh, convertible note round, and then um, and then a, a a more traditional round of funding about a year after we um, we launched. And um, I think that was a you know a, an area that we had a lot of discussion around internally. Um, well, we we really valued it that it was the four of us who had invested our money and um, and built the company and um, helped us to make really good financial decisions early on because you know we, we weren't just in, you know using someone else's capital. Um, and I think we ultimately ended up raising outside funding because the company was just growing so fast. And we wanted to make sure we could continue to to build out our team. Um, and invest to continue to deliver people amazing experiences and just meet that growth um, and so we just thought it was a, a pragmatic thing to do at the time to you know to take in some some cash so that we could continue to um, to scale the company with with the demand that we were seeing from customers um, and I think the other thing is you know we a lot other people since we've launched have tried to copy what what we've done. I don't think anyone's really done it successfully. Um, and I think we realized that before, you know, we had an idea that seemed to appeal to lots of people in the market and that in order to, you know, really own that, that space, we had to continue to get better and better and better every day. Um, and having the capital to invest, to build out our team, um, was a really important thing to do, um, to just to be better. Um, and so I think today everything, about Warby Parker is more sophisticated than the day we launched. We've got way more sophisticated customer service, um, sort of team and 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 distribution. You know, we've got a, a much better and easier to navigate website. Our product um, continues to improve. Uh, you know, we're sourcing really nice custom acetates today that we just never would have had access to when we started. That you know, form our glasses and our hinges are. You know, we just continue to invest in making better and better and better products um, and so and,
0: not, and, and keeping the prices essentially the and same
1: keeping the prices the same yeah I, I mean, this is all about just continuing to deliver people a better experience with Warby Parker over time um, and so that takes capital and um, and we wanted to make sure that that we had that capital so that we could you know always be innovating and pushing forward and um, and just continuing to do that for our customers.
0: I want to take a few calls. We get a whole bunch of people waiting here. Uh, But before, before I do that, you know, I want want people listening to understand when you guys talk about taking investment, I mean, you're getting investment. It's not, it's not just from, you know, some mystery guy out in the Valley. It's from like the CEO J crew, you know, it's from American experience. I mean, this is the, these are exactly the kinds of people you as a, Company making stylish glasses and eyewear. This is this is who you have to get investment from. You know, what I mean, at some point, it's great to say, "Oh man, we 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 need we need some we need some cash. We need some investment here." And you know what? These are good companies. And then you get to the point where you guys are at. It's like J Crew. Yeah, I mean. That's that's got to make you realize, like that's got to hit home. Like w- we really made it because Jay Crew wants to invest. You know what
1: I mean? Like, yeah. how how does that feel? I mean, it, it feels great. Mickey is amazing. He is just one of the most amazing people that that we've gotten to meet throughout the whole process. Um, I mean, spending time with him is unbelievably valuable for us. Um, and so we were just so humbled that he would want to invest. But I, and and I think that that's a you know, a, uh, I think that raises a broader point that you that you brought up, which is our investors have been unbelievably helpful to us. Um, and we've spent a lot of time getting to know them and working with them. But I mean, they have really... The people that have, have come into the company really sort of share our vision and have helped us to push the company forward in a really meaningful way. And, and Neil and Dave, who run Orby Parker full-time, um, you know, I think... Um, do an amazing job. And, and I think the investors and all of us around the company just really want to be supportive of them and and our team and, and really have just been instrumental to the growth, not just with capital, but with advice and relationships and ideas and, um, and just really helping to, you know, continue to, to sort of push the company forward in a, in a really, I think, you know, in a way that, that, um, that meets sort of our, our initial goals and vision. So, um, they've been, we've had just an amazing investor group. They've been awesome. Yeah.
0: And there, there's something to be said, I think for the way that you guys have continued to focus so carefully on the original goals of the company, not, you know, as far as I know, you know, you guys haven't, uh, launched a, you know, a line of, uh, you know, scarves, (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're not branching out. And I'm not saying that there would be anything wrong with that. People maybe even are expecting that where, you know, uh, the shirts and the shoes that you might be working on. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure that you could do that. And I think people would probably respond positively to it, but you've, you've maintained this focus of saying, you know, we're, we're, we've gotten pretty good at making these glasses. We're just going to keep focusing on them and, and, and making them better. And you know what, like the big, the big thing. Oh, well now, now you have sunglasses like that was, and it, I'm not, I'm not deme- meaning to diminish it, but I'm saying that's how, how tight the focus is. The, the big change for Warby Parker was, well, we're going to offer sunglasses now.
1: Yeah. And we, we say this a lot with Warby Parker and with Harry's too. I mean, we, we would love um, for these to be brands that are around for a long time. You know, we kind of talk about the idea of building an 100 year brand, and if we think about that, like we're in year three of 100, Um, and so we have lots of time to other things as a brand. Um, But you know, today we're we're still really young, Um, and you know, think it makes sense to focus on the things that that we, you know, the place where we started, and just try to do that as well as we possibly can, and. Um, we've got a long a long way to go just in the U.S. market in glasses. I mean, again, I think there are much bigger brands out there um, than us. And um, and we've got a long way to sort of continue to, to grow and acquire you know, new customers and then deliver them great experiences and, and sort of let people know about us. So um, it's going to be fun.
0: So there's something I, I say a lot on this show, Jeff, where I say it, it's not possible... To do, to be successful, I'm talking about in business. If if you have a full time job, you're going to get to a point where if you're trying to start a separate business, you know, you've got a job and you're trying to do a new business. Yeah. It's not possible to be successful. And when I say successful, I mean seeing it through to the absolute maximum of its potential. Yeah. It's not possible to do that while you have a full time job. It's not possible to start. Could you have started Warby or Harry's if, if it was just you or just you and one other person yep. and each of you had a full-time job, you could have started it, but at some point you would have had to make that choice. Right.
1: I think that's right. The, the, I think you can, I think you can get it to a place where you have enough information to make that choice, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. If you're going to launch, I think, the day that you have customers, I think you have to be 100% committed to those customers. Mm. Everyone on your team does. Um, I think that ahead of that takes a, in order to sort of deliver people amazing experiences, day, day one takes a lot of planning and thought. Um, and I think it's really, really hard. Enough. And we saw this with both Warby Parker and Harry's. Like day one when you launch, you realize that there are a bunch of things that, People are doing that you wouldn't have anticipated, and you have to work hard to fix them. But you really, should try to anticipate as much as you can for day one. Um, and so, kind of working back from there, it just takes a lot of time and devotion, and commitment to get that ready. And so, you know, I would I would argue and imagine at least for us, you know, ahead of launch, it's really helpful to be fully committed to, to it. Um, and so that kind of you know that leaves you with some time where you know you should you, i think in an ideal world people would be fully committed to, to building businesses you know six or nine months or something ahead of launch and then before that it's really about proving the idea and the concept to yourself and getting the the building blocks for it set up um that could be you know the basic functionality of a web product it could be uh, a supply chain for physical products um but just sort of getting to getting it to a point where it just becomes very real. And I think there, you know, you may have a little bit more flexibility to, to work on other things, but at some point it will be, it will get to a point where you have a a real product and a real business. Um, and a, hopefully a really clear vision about what it should be. Um, I think that's the point where you have to be fully committed to really execute that vision.
0: Vision works must just hate you. <sighs> All right, so then you come out and you say, "Listen, I, I, and this is what I really want. I wanted to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, because you say, you know what, every man deserves a quality shave at a fair price. This occurs to you one day, <laughs> and you say, and I agree with you. And you say, you know what, I've got Barbie Parker going pretty good. Yeah, but this shaving thing is bugging me. Yeah, can't get a decent shave.
1: Yeah." So it's just
0: not, it's just not happening. I got to do something about that.
1: Yeah. And so it, it, that started, um, in late 2010. Again, I sort of had a sleepless night similar to when we launched Warby Parker. Um, and it was brought on by Andy, who's my co-founder and Harry's just having a organic experience. You know, he went into a drugstore, um, waited for 10 minutes for someone to unlock the case where the razors were being held. Um, you know, I had to wait for <laughs> the product, didn't have a great experience, walked out and he looked at me, called me and looked in his bag. And he's like, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at my bag and I've got a receipt for more than $20 for four razor blades and some shaving cream. And like, I'm just feeling ripped off. He's like, and more than that, you know, the packaging and the products and the brands, they just don't speak to me anymore as a consumer. Um, just don't think that there's a brand in shaving that really speaks to sort of discerning and sophisticated guys. Um, and I wonder if you couldn't launch a, you know, a company and a brand in this category that like Warby Parker, just delivered incredibly high quality product to people and did it direct, um, at a fair price. And I think I just really, that his experience, um, it's really resonated with me and, couldn't sleep that night. Uh, and I woke up, called him the next morning, which I think is probably a good litmus test. Got woke up, <laughs> called him the next morning. I was like, you know, I think that there is a really interesting opportunity here to to deliver everybody, and starting with guys, though, uh, you know, a uh, a really great experience in shaving. Um, and and so then we started thinking about it and working on it. Uh,
0: so here's what I like about Harry's. And by the way, I uh, I, I went, I got, I got some of these. And I've talk, I talked about this on the frequency. I'm going to mention it here. The, f- the day that you guys launched, and I forget where I, I heard about this. Everyone was talking about it. The day that I launched it, went, I went to go ahead and I said, you know what? Hattie, I'm going to order this thing right now. We were doing our show in the morning show, Frequency. And I said, I'm going to order this now. While I was placing an order, I, it was a little, a little, I don't want to get into details. The site had a little problem, popped up a little dialogue message. Didn't get to put my order through. You guys apparently have fans in there, listen to the show, email me. And they said, we're sorry, the order didn't go through. By then I'd already placed the order and I already ordered it. Yeah. So I ordered, so what I ordered, because I wanted to try this. See, I, the whole idea of shaving, you know, I, I, I love the idea of, you know, you're very familiar with shaving probably more than um, anyone in my audience, including me. Yeah. You know, the concept of the wet shave where you just pretty much just cut yourself all the whole time. And then on the, on the opposite end of this, you've got, uh, the, you know, the cheap disposable razors and what you guys, I'm just, you know, this is just my observation from, from ordering the Truman set, using it, great experience all around. Gosh, you guys do the best packaging. Okay. Here's the thing. It has all of the allure and the the classic feel that guys want when they go for the wet shave without the constant destruction of your face. And all the things that you liked about like watching your dad or your granddad shave when you're a little kid, that's all there. Okay, but without any of the pain. Was that your goal?
1: Yeah, you know, I think what we wanted to do with Harry's was make it feel like you were getting something at a really high-end men's boutique. Um, and and we wanted to kind of respect that tradition of, you know, a good clean shave um, that your dad or your grandfather would get. But also, we realized that, you know, products and shaving have evolved and that there are modern razor systems out there that deliver great shaves. And I think we didn't feel compelled to shroud that in sort of futuristic design and packaging. We really love clean design. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we could deliver the best possible shaving product out there um, and just do it um, with razors and packaging and, and a brand that just felt like it wasn't over designed or over marketed um, to justify really high prices that it was um, you know sophisticated and that it was clean um, and simple and so and that's actually a much harder design challenge than making something that's really over designed like taking all of the elements that you need to make something really ergonomic and then simplifying it, um, so that it works really well, but that it's clean is, was, it's actually a much harder challenge. So we kind of had fun taking that on and, you know, thought a ton about shaving and ergonomics and how razors should be held in your hands and, you know, shaved with literally everything, um, that we could find. Um, and you know, over so you get, time, then
0: you get on a plane to Germany. Yeah. And you sit down with some, these old school German,
1: yeah. how does this happen? Yeah. So it was really, you know, in in this process where we were just trying to, you know, I think what we needed to do and what we realized with Warby Parker is every brand needs to be built around great product. And we just started to try to learn about how razor blades were made. And it actually is a very difficult and sophisticated manufacturing process. And, you know, we tried lots and lots of stuff and we just couldn't find anything that, that worked well. And You know, know, one day I was reading a shaving blog um, from Europe because I realized there wasn't much in the US market. And and there were sort of some mentions of a couple of different German companies. And so we started to realize that maybe there were some high quality blades made in Germany. And that kind of intrinsically made sense to us. There are lots of really high quality knives and other kind of steel and cutting products coming out of Germany. So we thought, okay, maybe Maybe there would be good razor blades made here, and we ended up finding this company that's a 90-year-old company that makes really high-quality blades. We had them send us some blades to try. We tried them, like, wow, these are great. Um, but we also thought that there was potentially some room for improvement, um, and that we could help them innovate. Um, so we went over there and we, you know, spent a bunch of time getting to know them, uh, and that led to a partnership where we would work with them to develop kind of a custom product for for Harry's um, that we could put on our you know, our own handles and in our own packaging that, that had some, you know, um, design and, um, and functionality changes that were ours. And, um, and we sort of licensed in their blade technology to create a, you know, a, a custom, a custom razor for us. And we've had a, we have a great partnership with them and that, you know, sort of serves as the really as the foundation for the, the brand, um, just really high quality kind of German made razor blades it's just it's
0: such a neat story cuz like it's not good enough for you guys to just say ah, we'll you know we'll make something that looks kind of cool yeah and you know we'll have something it'll be a neat design and people ah those people buy anything we make huh. you actually go to germany and you you go and find these manufacturers you study the whole process
1: yeah
0: and you say you know what we're going to make the best blades around yeah. we're going to make the best packaging around and you do fun stuff you've got the little uh you know, you, all of the packaging is so cool. And then you also make your own shaving cream. Yeah. You get the little woolly mammoth on the, the pack <laughs> I mean, all the, the attention to detail here. But doesn't that, when I, when I get this, when I get all this packaging and I look at it, I'm like, man, this is really nice. I feel like I've actually bought something. Yeah. Like it's not just like, you know, uh, a, a razor with a bunch of blades and a, in a little plastic thing, you know, that's designed to hang on a shelf. This is a nice box this is, and I mean, of course, here comes a comparison. to Apple, it's it. There is an unboxing experience. There is an unboxing experience to this. Yeah. You open it up, and you're like, wow, you know. And so, not only do you feel like someone took a great. Hattie, I haven't shown you this, have you? I didn't bring this in, did I? No, you didn't. You, okay. you didn't unbox it here. I, I, I'll I'll have to bring this so you can see it.
1: The, it oh, it, I'm it, looking at it. It's really pretty. Not
0: only. Not only does this look like someone spent a bunch of time designing this, but it it looks like it, a human being was involved in putting this thing together to send it out to you. It looks like people were involved. It doesn't look like some massive assembly line.
1: Yeah, well, they were, and
0: that really sets it apart. It it feels high end.
1: Yeah, and, and I think for us, the other thing that we were trying to accomplish just with the whole experience is you know getting a, a Harry's box and. Sort of hopefully open it, and you have a. You feel good when you look at all the, the, the product and then the packaging, and then, you open up the packaging, and you know the, our razor box has a slight herringbone pattern on the inside that we just hoped would you know make you feel like it was a little bit of a surprise to you, and then you kind of pick up the razor, and hopefully that's a really great experience because get to touch and feel this product that we hope is you know sort of substantive but also clean and built for per, per, per performance all at the same time which we hope then gives you a, an even better feeling about Harry's. And then hopefully the best feeling is, 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 is during and after your shave. Um, and so we just kind of want to try to build up to that moment when you shave and then afterwards, and just hope that you, you know, have an increasingly positive experience throughout. And that's a, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm sure that that's not the case for everybody, but that was our goal. Um, and that's, that was our vision of what we're kind of trying to achieve. And we'll, we'll get better at it over time, but.
0: That's what we wanted to try to do. So at this point, you know, you, you're, you, you sell the whole kit, the whole kit, 15 bucks. Yeah. And so what this comes with, this comes with the razor itself, comes with the blades, comes with the shaving cream. You don't have to get, you may, you know what, you may be some like shaving cream snob and say, oh, I don't want that. I got my own shaving cream. Yep. I got, I got 20 things of shaving cream. I don't want there. You can buy like a la carte stuff.
1: Yeah, of course. We want a guy's choice. Um, And women too. Actually, we've been really pleasantly surprised by how many women have bought Harry's. It's great. Um, But you know, we are they buying it as a gift? Are they buying it,
0: uh, you know, to for themselves or what?
1: Both. We've gotten great feedback from women who are using it themselves. Um, I think lots of women really like to use razors designed for men because.
0: What is the story? It's true. What is the story with
1: this? (laughs) I think that they believe
0: because this, they, I can tell you it's absolutely true. Yeah. And they think you're not going to notice. Come <laughs> on.
1: Lots of guys aren't excited about it when their girlfriends or wives use their razors because <laughs> shaving legs tends to dull razors pretty quickly. Um, and women are just less sensitive to it than guys that she, you know, the just general sensitivity around legs is very different than the face just sort of biologically. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I know that from shaving my legs. I'm just joking, actually. <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is just a general perception that razors that are designed for men um, are sharper and work better um, than those designed for women. Uh, and I, I think also, you know, many of the razors that are designed for women are play into this fact that, like, uh, women using these razors are going to somehow, like, help women express their femininity um, in some way. And I just don't think that that really appeals to women. Uh, not at all. <laughs> it's to them coming back and just wanting a, a razor that just really works well, that they know that they can trust. Um, and so I think that there you are know, lots of women use men's razors and we've had an amazing response to Harry's. Um, and I think over time we'll, we will develop a razor that is ergonomically correct for shaving legs. Um, you know, we're, we we will not probably shrouded in, um, in, you know, trying to find your inner self as a woman. Um, <laughs> but, um, but we think that, you know, we'd love to give women great experiences, um, too. And, and for now, we've been really surprised that they, that they like men's razors and they like our razors. But anyway, um, yeah. So I think when we, uh, I don't, sorry, I was an aside. I'm not sure what we were talking about before.
0: No, I don't know either.
1: The <laughs> unboxing,
0: yeah, the unboxing experience. But this is so no investment right
1: now for Harry's. Yeah, um, we we did raise a little bit of, of capital earlier um, than Warby Parker just to um, just to enable us to invest in in making really high quality razor blades. Uh, mm. It was a it's a it's a much more just intensive product challenge than making glasses. Uh, and
0: so have you have you stepped away uh, from Warby? completely or to focus on Harry's, yeah. are you still doing both? And how are, if you're doing both, how?
1: Yeah. So I'm on the board at Warby. Um, and I, I spend a, a bunch of time on it still, um, because I love it. You know, Neil and Dave and Andy are some of my closest friends. Um, and so we spend a lot of time together professionally, socially. Um, and I spend a lot of time with our early team who is now running the company. It's pretty awesome. Um, and I think since, I've started Harry's uh, it's, you know, hopefully we, we can take some of the lessons that we're learning at Harry's and apply them back to Warby Parker um, and, and help Warby Parker to be more successful. And, you know, and clearly we've taken lots of lessons from Warby Parker and apply them to Harry's um, and the guys at Warby Parker are super involved in Harry's too. So it's great. Um, so I'm still, I'm still involved. Um, I, my story was sort of taking a step back. I worked at a private equity firm, a great private equity firm called Charles Bank before going to business school. Um, and I committed to going back there after school. This was prior to us starting Warby Parker. Um, and so when we graduated from school, I was you know always intending to go back. Um, and so there were four of us at the time who were running Warby Parker. Um, and I think we kind of realized that it would make sense for a couple of us to kind of stay with the company and run it full time and a couple of us to Play more advise play more advisory roles, and I was always intending to go back to Charles Bank, so it's pretty natural for me to step down full time after we graduated from business school, which is about seven or eight months after we launched Warby Parker. Um, we kind of moved the company back to New York and had it stable, and um, and so I went back to Charles Bank and worked there for a couple of years prior to then starting Harry's, um, and so I it was pretty. I've sort of been in this role at Warby Parker for the last couple of years. And it's been amazing to see the company grow and to, to still be part of it um, while also kind of doing other things.
0: Let's do our last sponsor shutterstock.com 20 million. See if I was going to go out there and start my own, maybe I'm going to do it, start my own razor blade company. <laughs> I mean, I'll just buy some stuff from uh, from target. They won't, you know, and put it in a box. Just kidding. Here's the thing. You guys have the best imagery on your sites. I mean, you really do. When you go there, you create a whole feeling, you know, and and obviously you're putting up pictures of the product. But a lot of people, when they're starting out, they're like, where am I going to get this kind of photography? Maybe they're writing a blog. Maybe they're, you know, making some kind of a a beautiful website and they want to create the same kind of imagery uh, that is going to create a feeling. And that's what it's all about, creating a feeling, creating an experience. Shutterstock.com, they're going to let you do that. They've got images from across the world they got image packs. They got monthly subscription packages. You can go in and just buy one image, and every time you visit there, you're going to find something new because they're adding ten thousand images every single day. And it's more affordable than you think. They don't charge for extra for extra sized files. You buy the image that you want, you're going to get it full high res version. Nickel and dime you for stuff like that. They have a really wonderful iPad app that's going to let you help create these things called light boxes, where you can organize the photos and images that you find into really, really nice. It's it's just, it's so cool because you can create these and Merlin does a Merlin man does a really good job of this. Whenever they sponsor that show, he'll go and he'll do a search. Like recently I was, I was sick, Jeff. I had this awful uh, illness that my five-year-old brought home. So Merlin went and created a light box of sick children just in honor of me, but you can do that. And then you can share that light box with other people. Maybe you're collaborating with some team members. Maybe you're working on Uh, you're working on a presentation for a client. You can create these. You don't need the iPad app to do it. It's nice, but you can do it just on the website. Huge library, not just images. They also have vectors. They have icons. They have infographic templates, video clips, you name it. And it's all free to get started. All you need to do is go to shutterstock.com. When you want to buy something, you can buy one image. You can buy a 1,000 images. It doesn't matter. Dan sent me four. Dan sent me and then the number four. And you'll get 30% off. Anything you do. So buy a bunch of stuff because that 30%, that's going to save you some money. All right. Jeff, I know you're going to come back on the show, aren't you?
1: Dan, this has been a, I, I love it.
0: You, you, I mean, let, we could, you could do a show. You ever want to do a show? We're here for you. I'm just saying, talk about whatever you want. That's you nice. come on and you could, do, you could talk about, you know, your favorite, favorite sporting teams, whatever. So let me ask you, let me ask you one last thing. Cool. You, you've done the glasses thing. Now you kick off the razor thing. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of things for you to do in in both of those spaces, obviously. Yeah. But are you the kind of person who has this long-range plan, who sits back and thinks, you know what, I am going to... uh, I am going to conquer industry XYZ next. Or do you just wait and let that inspiration hit? Are you waiting for that next bad experience you have with something? (laughs) Bad experience with eyeglasses... Bad experience with the razors. Next thing you know, well, I had a bad experience with the car. Better fix
1: that. I'd like for you to fix that. I'm so you know, right now I'm just so committed to Harry's uh, full time and, and to Warby Parker in any way that I can help. Just feel I feel I've never in my life I think felt busier, um, and it's really hard for me to think about what could be what could be next. I mean, I think I think both Harry's and Warby Parker have. Just so especially Harry's. I mean, we're in our second month of of existence as a kind of company. You know, we only launched last month. And so, I mean, for us, uh, there's just so much room to grow and achieve that vision. I just feel like that's gonna end up taking a while. Um, and I'm super I couldn't be more excited about that. Um, like I just wake up every day super fired up to uh to try to continue to grow Harry's and and just to deliver awesome experiences to people. I think the one thing that I missed about not being at Warby Parker full time is just getting to like talk to customers and read their emails and understand that, you know, we're having a positive impact in in their lives in some super small way. Uh, It's just awesome. Um, and so I just think we have so much room to, to go there that I probably, I mean, I just, I can't see myself thinking about anything else right now. Um, and I, it's hard. I don't, I've never really had a, like a long range plan in my career in general. Um, I, I think this is probably the first time where I felt like I could be doing this for the next, I don't even know how many years. Um, but I think what's happened over time is there's just been instances that have been really exciting for me and that have kind of compelled me to do the next thing. Um, and it's just kind of hard. You just kind of get this feeling. It's hard to quantify. And it just, for me, it's just kind of compelled me to to take that step and just do it. Um, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, if there were, if I was a point in my life and my career where I was kind of ready to take something on, I, I, imagine that, uh, that I would just sort of try to be patient to, again, just kind of be compelled to do it as opposed to, as opposed to try to force it, uh, or have some longer plan. Um, I don't know. It's always been very, uh, just sort of very, uh, organic for me, I guess. Um, which has been great.
0: I think a lot of the people who are listening to this show, you know, they're, they're what I call a corporate stooge. And once in a while, I think it's useful to define this. This is what, what I define as a corporate stooge, Jeff. And I, I know you're probably going to, this will resonate with you a little bit. Corporate stooge is the kind of person who, uh, they most likely have a job in technology somewhere. Maybe it's an IT job, maybe they're a software developer, maybe they're a designer, maybe they work in manufacturing, maybe they work for the government, maybe they're an engineer. And this person, they go to work every day. They probably have a 30 to 45 minute commute. Back in my day, we wore a tucked in polo shirt with a pair of khaki pants and a belt, leather shoes. And you drive for 30 to 45 minutes in the morning and drive 30, 45 minutes home. And you'd sit in a cube under the fluorescent lights and you wouldn't be able to see a window. And maybe you're, you're lucky if you know one or two other people who kind of get you in the office but you probably bring your brown bag to to work a lot and eat, the, eat lunch there at your desk so you can get out a little bit earlier, beat some of the traffic. And you realize that you spent years in college, years in school, maybe even years in your career to get to this, to get to this point. And you realize that you're angry and you're frustrated and you're sad and, and you have no idea how you got there. It's like that talking head song, you know, and you wind up and you're there and you're like, what? this is it. This is what I'm here. This is what I'm doing. This. That's kind of the corporate stooge. Yeah. And it's pretty bleak. And that was me. And so one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show, Jeff is maybe, maybe the answer is quitting. That's why I named the show quit. Maybe the answer is quit your job. Maybe the answer is redefine what it is you're doing within your job. You're still, still quitting that old way of thinking, right? It's about starting something new. It's about making some kind of change. And a lot of the time people will call me up and it seems like people fit into two different categories when, when we get these callers. There's two main categories. One is it's a younger person who has got absolutely nothing to lose, but they feel like they've got everything to lose. Yeah, They'll call and they say, you know, I'm, I'm 23 years old. I don't have any debt. I don't own a car. I live in an apartment. I don't have a, you know, significant other. Uh, I have a job that's all right, but I don't really want to work there anymore. And I've got this really great idea. Oh, and I've got 10,000 bucks in the bank and I can call my parents if I really needed to. Should I start something? My answer is, yeah, of course you should start something. Do it, try it. Now's the only time you're going to be able to. Yeah. That's category. Number one, category. Number two is somebody who's in their thirties or forties. They've usually, and i Most of the list surprise. Most of my listeners are male we do have some wonderful women listeners four, maybe five, two of whom are in the room right now. And they call up and they say, I support my wife and two kids. We've got a dog. We've got a mortgage. We've got two cars. My mother-in-law lives with us. I'm 40 years old and I'm miserable in my job and I hate it and I can't stand it. And I'm going to quit tomorrow, but I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't have anything planned. And I've got, oh, I've got twenty six thousand dollars in debt, but I feel like I should quit. Uh, what advice do you have for for these two different categories of people, Jeff? What, what do you What do you think? Is it too late for the folks who are who are you know in their thirties and forties with uh, with obligations? Is it too soon for the people who are in their early twenties with nothing to lose?
1: Yeah, I mean it's funny. I, so my instinct here is. One, you shouldn't be... I, I think it's some. I think sometimes people are overly idealistic about starting companies. It's really hard. And so I would be really thoughtful about... And it's more importantly, it's time consuming. Um, and so I think about it as opportunity cost. I mean, it's going to take you five years to launch a business and figure out whether or not it's working, I think, if you really are committed to it and see it through. And so I think that it... Is really wise to, you know, make sure that before you launch into something that you've really thought it through, and done research, and talked to people, and made sure there's demand for it, and make sure that you're different, and know that you can execute, and then go pull the trigger. Um, and, and I think that a great time to do that is when you are doing something else. Um, that that process just de- definitionally takes time. It takes time for you to get an idea to really understand it, to think it through, you know, just just literally like X number of sleepless nights will help you get to the right place and will help you refine a business model so that when you launch, you'll make it right. And so no. I think just jumping in blindly is probably not always the wisest proposition. But if you have an idea that's really thoughtful and that's tested, that you're passionate about, that you think you can execute, then yeah, absolutely, like go do it. And by the way, a good litmus test is can you raise capital against it? Will somebody else in the world believe in you? can you share, will someone share your vision? If they will, then, then that's just a nice litmus test that, hey, like I can convince somebody this is a good idea. If nobody in the world will back you or share capital or, or commit capital to you, I mean, maybe they're missing a massive gem of an opportunity. Um, but maybe it also should sort of inspire some introspection to say, hey, like, you know, is this the exact right thing? Should I refine this and, you know, continue to tell it? improve my odds of success. So I think that's the first thing. I think the, the the point about somebody who is, you know, in a job, who's looking for another job, I think the advice I might give them is like one, for me, I've always been most successful, I think, where I've been happiest. I started my my career as a consultant at Bain and Company, and what I learned really early on was that the when I when I was happiest, I was doing my best work and that was driven almost entirely by the people I was working with and the the amount of opportunity that I was given to really kind of step up and take on responsibility. And, and so I just sought out those opportunities there, um, you know, places where I thought I would be happy. Um, and you kind of rotate from project to project to project. And so I just knew that, you know, you know, where I, when I was working with people that I liked and when I thought I'd be happy, I would just do a a, a better job. And when I shared the goals of the team to get somewhere, I'd do a better job. And at at Harry's, when we look to hire people, one of the biggest things that we think about and at Warby Parker too one of the biggest things we think about are like, will this person be happy here? Will they be super committed to what we're doing? Are they excited generally about the mission of the company? Do they really want to be part of the team? Um, and so I think if you're in a situation where that's not really your case, I'm not sure I would just quit tomorrow, yeah. but I'd start to create leverage in my life and figure out what would make me really happy and then go do that. Um, and it might take you a year to figure it out and you might need to network and interview. And sometimes it's easier to find a new job when you already have a job. Um, but I would... Probably, my advice would be to try to be proactive and first figure that out, um, and then really. And, and sometimes it takes just lots and lots of time to do that. You know, talking to hundreds of people and really getting out there and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. I think it's really important. And and that for how me many like, how
0: many people do you have in the company right now in
1: Warby? Uh, about one hundred and fifty. Wow. Yeah. Um, and we care a ton about them. And like, you know, I think that they are, they work super duper hard. Um, and I think that they are really motivated about building a great company. And everyone just kind of buys into the mission. And when people don't, like, they tend not to stay around that long. And we learned that early. And it's been a great lesson for us. Um, and so I think, you know, Warby a great fit for our employees. And it's not a great fit for everybody. And so, finding a place where you think you'll just really fit in, and you can thrive, and you can take on responsibility, and you can try to be dynamic is great. Um, and so, I, th- I think just figure out what you want in your career, and then really, really going for it is uh, is really important.
0: Well, I appreciate you being here today. How um, how should people get in touch if they want to follow you? You're on you're on Twitter, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so Jeffrey Rader is my Twitter handle. Um, yeah, do that.
0: All right. So I'll put that into the show notes. There's a picture of you wearing glasses and it looks like you have some shaving cream on. Good. I'll put that into the <laughs> show notes there as well. How, how fitting. Of course, also in the show notes link to uh Warby Parker link to some of the, uh, the articles about both Warby and Harry's Great, and, uh, and I made sure to use my own affiliate link uh, for Harry's so that if you use that link there, uh, I'm going to get some, I get some free uh, razor blades isn't that right?
1: Sweet. Uh, yeah. For our, for a, a friend program, that, yeah. that should be right. Um, these
0: are all my friends. Everyone who listens to the show is a friend. Is there a cap on how many I can get? Absolutely. Uh, no. Cool. Easy. So get me some, get me some razor blades guys. <laughs> 5x5.tv slash quit slash <laughs> 20. Jeff Raider. Jeffrey Rader on Twitter. And uh, of course I suggest you go check out Warby. I mean, Hattie, these look good, right? They look You don't even want to perfect. remember that every any time, oh, there's this old, oh gosh, there's this old picture of me. That's my producer, Hattie. There's <laughs> this old picture of me with the this pair of glasses. Those were nice. Those were nice frames. Nope, nope. nope. They're Ralph Lauren. Mm, they were wrong for you, though. Okay, <laughs> I, no, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying they're nice frames. And and once in a while, someone will like interview me, and they'll pick up this bio picture that's floating around out there, of me in these old frames. And the other day, Hattie said to me, she said, I'm just going to pretend you never had any other frames except the Warby Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're that good. They're perfect for you. Great. So, listen, good luck to you.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Thanks and, for uh, And, you know, love to have you back on again sometime. And uh, the next time that we're out in New York, don't know when that's going to be, but you got to get you to Austin. I think that's more likely. Sweet. But, uh, yeah, we'll do something. This, is, this has been really great. I hope everyone has enjoyed it again. Uh, if you would like to, you can follow this man, Jeffrey Raider on Twitter. Links are all in the show notes. And uh, thanks very much for joining us today. We'll be back live next week, 5 p.m. Eastern time, where you can call in. And if between then and now you would like to call in and leave a voicemail, you may do so. Voicemail number is 512-222-8141. You can also send an email, 5, by five by two slash contact, slash, uh, and then you go and quit from the list. I will read all of those. I will do maybe next week or week following next week, Hattie. Who's our guest next week?
1: We have a very special guest. Who uh, is it? Tom Merritt.
0: Tom Merritt. You may know him from his work over at uh, Twit, where he's had me as a guest on mm-hmm. Tech News today a couple times. So it's and, time uh, to he repay the favor. guilted thing. me into having him on one of my shows. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's really great to have him. So uh, he'll be on next week if you'd like to listen to that or leave a voicemail or email in advance that. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Jeff, thanks again for being a guest on the show. I sure do appreciate it. Good luck to you.
1: Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Have a good weekend.
0: Take care.